This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as all the people who watch us all around the world, literally, on the internet. It's good to have you with us. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us on this once again snowy, cruddy Sunday morning. Y'all need to pray <laughs> that uh, the Lord would intervene and cut us a break. How many storms have we had now, a good month of this nonsense, where it comes on a Saturday night into Sunday morning. And, uh, and this actually affects churches all around Wisconsin. Uh, because then the attendance drops dramatically and the finances drop dramatically and it puts everybody in a terrible bind. I hope that you will continue to be faithful and support, even if you can't make it, you know, and still support the church because the expenses still stay the same and it's important. And again, it's not just us, it's all the churches that get hammered this way. So I'm thinking about this yesterday, man, we need to pray. We're obviously, we're not praying strong enough about this weather. Uh, what's frustrating, of course, is the weather could be three times worse than it is right now, and if there was a Packer game, 80,000 people would be there, and not a single soul would be missing when it's Sunday morning. Oh, there's a fly on my eye, you know, just so people look for any reason not to come to church, and this weather doesn't help. So maybe pray that God will bless us in that way. We're doing a series about forgiveness. Our verse is, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. At Celebration Church, we have uh, four things that we focus on. Number one is we want people to know God. Number two, find freedom to discover their purpose and to make a difference. Now, when it comes to the idea of finding freedom, you can't truly experience the kind of freedom that God wants in your life if you don't forgive people. And people will drive you crazy. There is no doubt. But you've got to forgive people. Otherwise, you're the one who ends up as a slave. A lot of times we get mad at people and say, well, I'll never forgive them. But it doesn't hurt them when you do that. The only one it hurts is the person who doesn't forgive. As I've said before, unforgiveness is like taking poison, trying to kill the other guy. Show you. you know, the only one who dies is the one who's taking the poison, right? 
You're not affecting anybody. You only affect yourself. Now, this morning we're going to take a look at Luke, the seventh chapter, starting at verse 36. Now, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, this Pharisee's guy, his name is Simon. He doesn't really like Jesus. He doesn't respect Jesus. We'll see culturally about that in just a minute. You know, uh, in those days, uh, you would greet a, a person in a certain way. You'd wash their feet uh, in that kind of culture. You even kiss, you know, a lot of uh, cultures around the world. Uh, you always kiss someone when you see them. Men even kissing men. Now, we're not talking on the lips, but although there's a few that do that. It's a little creepy. Uh, but, the, you know, they kiss, you know, like at, uh, Italy, for example. You know, I spent uh, some time in Italy and... Uh, you know, they, they, they always say peace whenever they'd see you, the Christians. But in Italian, it's pace, pace, pace. And they'd, I want you, went on the other cheek. Of course, the ones you dreaded were the really old men with stubble on their faces that was like razor blades. So they go, pace, like, ow, oh, that hurt. You know, zing, zing, that kind of thing. So this guy, he doesn't give Jesus a kiss. He doesn't wash his feet. He, you know, just invites them and... I guess he's just more curious about Jesus at this point. Jesus is kind of a, a rock star at this point. Thousands, multitudes of people are following him. He's doing all these amazing things. These religious people didn't agree with him, didn't believe in him, but wanted to find out more about him. So come to dinner, and he basically disrespects him when he comes in because he doesn't do any of these things. So anyway, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life now, whenever the Bible talks about a woman who lived a sinful life, we're not talking about a woman who struggles with self-esteem issues or, you know, <laughs> steals stuff at the grocery store, all right? We're talking a woman who is sexually immoral. Now, it's always interesting in the New Testament, especially uh, in these very patriarchal times, that uh, the women were always singled out for their sexual unfaithfulness. Uh, you never hear much about the guys. You know, it's like the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, got drugged into the street to be stoned. Well, if she's caught in the very act, where was the guy? You know, he can take off, you know what I'm saying? So this lady's in town, she's immoral, which means there had to be a lot of men in that town who were immoral, but they didn't focus on that. It was the woman's fault, as is often the case, right? So... So this woman comes and she has a sinful life. She's a, a loose woman. Now, we don't know if she's a prostitute uh, trying to survive. We just don't know if she's just, you know, loosey-goosey. We don't know what her story is. But she knew she was a sinner, and they all knew she was a sinner. So she had heard that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, for her to go into this place, had to be unbelievably humiliating for her. She knew what they all thought of her. This wasn't done, and these tend to be fairly small towns, you know. Even in a town of 100,000 like Green Bay, people still tend to know everything about everybody. You know, a smaller town, the more they know. They all knew who she was. And for her to walk into that thing, especially with this religious Pharisee sitting there, for her to walk into that setting and all the heads turn and look at her, she had to feel about that tall. 
Why would she do that? Why would she come in knowing she's coming into a place that she's not welcome, in a place where she's going to feel humiliated? Because she had heard about this man called Jesus. And the thing about Jesus is he'd let people off the hook. He would forgive people. And here's a woman who didn't need to be told she was a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. By the way, the easiest people in the world to share the gospel with are people who don't need to be convinced <laughs> they are a sinner. I know I didn't need to be convinced. <laughs> no one had to open my eyes in that area of life. I pretty much knew I was a bad person. Anyway, she comes in, says that she stood behind Jesus, then at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. Now, this is from a Western viewpoint. This is really odd. Uh, we don't go around washing people's feet and, or any of this sort of thing. But this is the Middle East, Eastern culture. People wore sandals all the time. Their feet were dusty and dirty. And here this lady's coming in. And I'm sure it gets quiet the minute she walks in. And she just ignores all of them. She gets down. She starts crying. And her tears are hitting his feet. She takes her hair, wipes them. She takes his perfume. That's the main reason she came was to put something, you know, that is a high level of respect to take uh, oil or something, perfume like that, and to put it on someone. And you can just imagine the room as she's doing this. And everybody's like, ooh. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, see, he didn't believe in Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. And Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Well, two people owed a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has perf poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Whoever is forgiven of much loves much. Whoever is forgiven of little tends to love little. The real problem here isn't really so much about the amount of forgiveness, but it's the awareness of it. Last week, we talked about the parable of the guy who owed someone 10,000 bags of gold. And the guy was living in a state of denial. He said, look, just give me more time, I'll pay it back. There's no way 
he could have possibly paid him back. When you're the kind of person who doesn't really see anything wrong with you, well, it's not that bad, you know, I, I, I can fix this, or another, you know, you, you don't get it. We all owe a debt to God that we cannot pay. We've been forgiven a debt that is beyond our ability to repay. And whenever you run into people, you talk about eternal things, and they say, well, I'm not that bad. These are the people who don't get it. These are the people you have to try and convince and show them that indeed they are in a bad place. We're all in a horrible place. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do to pay for the sins you have committed. It's just the reality of it. The people who understand that are the ones who understand grace and are quickly to give grace to others. Those who do not understand it, it's a struggle for them to receive grace. And when they do, if they do, they certainly have a very difficult time passing it on to other people because I'm really not bad of, bad of a guy. If your version of yourself is you're not that bad of a person before God, you don't understand what we're talking about. You see, the problem is when people say that, they're comparing themselves to other people. Uh, they compare themselves to their neighbor or they'll see somebody on TV who does something terrible or read something in the paper about someone who did horrible and they're mortified at their, these horrible people, but in a sense, it makes them feel a little bit better because <laughs> at least I'm not that bad, you know. If you think I'm bad, you ought to see my neighbor. He's horrible. You ought to see my mother-in-law. She's a nightmare, all right? There's always, always pushing off on somebody else when in reality, we're not seeing clearly of ourselves. And sometimes we even get worse than that. Not only do we not compare ourselves to other, or we try to compare ourselves to other people, we compare ourselves to ourselves. <laughs> we are the standard for what's right and appropriate. And as long as we meet our own standard in our own little heads, then, then, then we're fine. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves, and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And they easily can become very critical of others because they don't really picture themselves as being all that bad. And if someone else falls short of the standard they have approved for themselves, they, beget, they uh, become very awful. Quite for People can be just awful. You know, Jesus said, I, I call you my friends. I heard a Lutheran pastor speaking once. He said, you know, I really love Jesus, but he has the worst friends. And uh, because Christians can be awful to each other. And uh, he started talking about Ananias and Sapphira. You guys remember Ananias and Sapphira? This, these are two people who were acting up in the early church. And uh, they, the Spirit of God came, and they both dropped dead. And this pastor said, I love people, but I'd just like to see that once in a while. You know, just kind of <laughs> straighten people out a little bit, you know what I'm saying? All right. Y'all alive this morning? I feel like I'm in a Presbyterian church. Good Lord. It's not that cold out there. Spring forward. Spring forward, yeah. An hour, one hour, it set you off. See, I'm used to it because I travel all the time, different time zones. Doesn't bother me. You went to Myanmar. Doesn't bother me, you know, because I do it all the time, but apparently in hours. <laughs> Looking at Matthew, the ninth chapter. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So he basically has this party, 
And uh, you have to understand, to the Jews at this time, it's not that we, today people don't hate tax collectors per se. We have nobody likes dealing with the IRS. But these people were really looked down on because they were basically collaborators with the oppressing Roman army. And if you agree to collect taxes from your own people uh, for your own benefit, and they would steal this money, and most of them were extraordinarily wealthy because they would line their pockets with the uh, monies that they would uh, collect, you know, always take a little bit for themselves. Matthew undoubtedly had a big yo mama house. A lot of these, these people hated the, the worst. The Bible will talk about, they will talk about tax collectors and sinners. There's a sinner and then there's something worse, a tax collector. Because <laughs> these guys, you know, they were nasty. So he's sitting at the house and he's hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners and, and they ate with him. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You know, sometimes people, they, they don't get it. Uh, you know, churches are full of just crazy people. Well, yeah, it's, it's, they're sick people. We are, I don't know about you, I need a hospital for my soul. That's what church is, right? Where uh, you can come and be made whole. And he tells the Pharisees, but go and learn what this means. And he quotes them from the Old Testament. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not called, come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, the one thing that people are very quick to do, if they're going to do anything right, is they like to have some degree of sacrifice, you know. Well, you know, I, I give of my time and, and I tithe and I volunteer and I do these things. And when they do these things, they think, man, I'm in a good place. I'm involved in the church. I'm a greeter. I do all these things. Put money in the offering. I am a good person. But what they don't do is give mercy. And when giving mercy, what you do is you cut people slack. That's what it means. He says, you need to go see, think about what that verse means. It says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, should we sacrifice? Of course. But more than that, God wants us to be merciful to people. Cut people slack. Why? Because we need slack. And I got to tell you, I, I love our church. I, I love Wisconsin. You know, I, I just got back from Texas and stuff. It is nice people. They're wonderful people. But I love Wisconsin because we're all jacked up, you know. <laughs> And, and, uh, and we tend to be very honest people and uh, not a lot of pretense. And some of my favorite people are some of you that have the biggest problems. <laughs> Bless your hearts. <laughs> you know, you struggle. People who have made mistakes, who've done bad things, who've been through two or three divorces. Who have, but they come to a place where they understand grace and they understand mercy. And they're always looking at you through the lens of mercy. This is what God is looking for. People who understand that they've been forgiven of a great debt. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to others. And they said, We played the pipe for you, but you did not dance. Dance, monkey, dance. Upset because I played to say you should be dancing when I play, or you should be. See, you know, people love to control people, right? And when they can't control you, they get mad at you. 
What's wrong with you? I'm playing. You should dance, you little monkey, dance. And worse than that, we sang a dirge, a sad song. You didn't cry. What's the matter with you? When I play the flute, you should dance. When I'm sad, you should be sad. And they get mad when you don't respond to their level of control and what they think and how they feel because they are fabulous. Thank one person's awake. God bless her. And then he says, you know, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. And they said, he has a demon. He's crazy. <clears throat> now, if you don't know much about John the Baptist, he'd lived in the wilderness. And he ate bugs. He was a bug eater, specifically locusts. Now, I've never eaten a locust. I have no idea what they taste like. I assume they taste like a big bug. Who eats bugs? But locusts and honey, I guess you need enough honey. I guess if you put enough honey on anything, it'll taste good. <laughs> put sugar on everything. <laughs> this guy's out there, he's eating bugs. He's crazy. He says, then I come. And I come eating and drinking. And then you say, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, he's saying, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. If I just sit around and eat almost nothing, I'm crazy. If I come eating and drinking, I'm a boozer. These were these people. You can't please them. You cannot please them. And by the way, for those of you, there's a lot of people watching us all over there. Those of you who are of the world of uh, inflexible evangelicals, who don't believe Jesus drank wine. It was grape juice. They don't believe he turned water into wine. He, they believe they turned it into grape juice because they've got this crazy thing in their head about alcohol. It's just patently absurd. The only way you can even approach that is to be as intellectually dishonest as you can possibly be. They accuse Jesus of being a boozer. Who do you accuse being a boozer if they drink grape juice? It was wine. When they served, when Jesus turned water into wine, they said, man, this is the good stuff. Whoever said that about a bottle of Welch's grape juice? <laughs> oh, man, this is good. <laughs> Such nonsense. Mark, just breathe. Just breathe. People tend to get angry and frustrated when you don't bow to their opinions of you especially those who compare themselves to themselves and who have forgotten they've been forgiven of their own sins and really don't think they're that bad in the first place because I sacrifice in this church. <laughs> and you think it's bad for you to try being a public person. <laughs> and I get it. I signed up for this. <laughs> I can handle it. But the criticisms that you get... And, and it's not just criticisms, their demand. What they want is for you to resign. I, I think I'm the only person in America who's been asked, more, asked to resign more often than Donald Trump. <laughs> and they get together and you're not, you're not spiritual enough, pastor. And they hate you for not being spiritual. Which kind of makes them unspiritual, wouldn't you think? I mean, I don't understand that. How do you hate someone? You're, you're just not spiritual. Oh, that's very spiritual. 
They yell and they bark. I've been accused of not being spiritual. I've been, I've been accused of public drunkenness. So what do you mean public? Well, they said that they came to a, a restaurant. I think it was Applebee's or something. And they said, we saw you and your brother sitting uh, at the bar and, and laughing hysterically. So you had to be drunk. <laughs> if you see my brother, me and my brother sitting at a bar and we're being really quiet, then we're hammered, all right? <laughs> we are blitzed out of our ever-loving minds. Hey, huh? I don't know, what'd you say? Uh. If we are laughing and howling and screaming like a bunch of banshee monkeys, we're a stone cold sober. But the other is, I am drunkard. Someone accused me, says, I saw you coming out of the grocery store and you had beer, beer in your cart. Why? I said, because that's where I get my beer. <laughs> What's wrong with people? They're crazy. But these are the, you know, the ones I'm there's no alcohol. You need to resign. Get in line. You remember this one? Cues of not wearing underwear. Anybody remember that one? Some of you have been around for a while. Yeah, there's a few. Some of you geezers have stuck around. God bless you. Now, first of all, how they know who is or who is not wearing underwear? I have no idea. And I don't want to know. If you're wearing a bra today, I, I don't want to know. If you're not wearing a bra, I don't want to know. Don't share that information with me. How they knew this, I don't know. And for your comfort, I do, in fact, wear underwear. Man, I think it'd be uncomfortable not to. <laughs> but, you know, do what you want. I don't care. Need to resign. <laughs> you remember this one? Pastor, you tolerate women coming to this church who wear low tops. And they're showing their bust. They're busty women. And I don't appreciate it. Because they judge themselves by themselves, you see. And it's like they're prostitutes. I said, wow, what are you going to do when prostitutes actually start coming? That's when I said, I want to put a sign on the church, prostitutes welcome. <laughs> Always mad about something, criticizing something mean, nasty. My latest one, I'm just going to touch on it lightly, people who disapprove of my marriage. Married too quick to a pretty younger woman. <laughs> Apparently I should have married an older, ugly woman. <laughs> Why'd you marry a pretty young woman? Because I got a choice. <laughs> the problem is with me is what was she thinking? That's what I'm trying to figure out. You didn't do it right. 
right, you know, stuff it. You live with someone for 45 years and love them. And watch them die a slow, miserable, painful death. And have their eyes fixed on you this far away as they take their last breath. You do that and then you tell me how you should handle things. But why do people do this? They're just mean. There's people as mean as rattlesnakes. No mercy. No mercy. And I keep hearing every new version of this story is worse than the last. Good night, another week or two, I'll be the guy who shot JFK. <laughs> Why haven't you addressed it? Because they're crazy. <sighs> First Peter, second Peter, one of the Peters. <laughs> Whoever does not have them, he's talking about Christian qualities and values. Whoever doesn't have that is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. It's easy not to show mercy to anybody, and that's just me. We do this, people do this to other people all the time. Do it to their families, do it to their friends. They're always lashing out at people. No forgiveness, no grace, no mercy. Only a high standard. You don't meet the standard that I've set because as I compared to myself, this is how I would have done it. Man, relax. They've forgotten they've been cleansed from their past sins. David, Psalm 40, said he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. David was always quick to remember where he came from. You know, he, I don't know about you, he pulled me out of a pit. I was in a bad place, and God's grace lifted me out of it. Consequently, I tend to show grace towards others. Don't be too quick to judge and condemn other people and be filled with bitterness and forgiveness. Remember that you too have been forgiven of much. We need to forgive those. Let us remind ourselves where we came from and the great mercy that he has shown to us and help us be quick to show mercy to others. That we might be like Jesus. That the word about us on the street is, man, he always lets people off the hook. That people who are really bad people, people who do terrible things, come and spend time with you. Because, you know, I can talk to this guy about my problems and my struggles because I hear he always lets people off the hook. We're going to have our ushers come at this time at our campuses and get ready to serve communion. This is the time where we reflect on why we're here. We are here because we have been forgiven of much. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He did this because of love and compassion, forgiveness and grace, mercy that he wanted to share. God so loved the world that he gave his own son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's amazing how quickly Jesus was willing to forgive people. Even when he was hanging on the cross, two guys, on either, one guy on either side of him, both thieves, the one guy starts egging on Jesus. Hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you get us all out of here? And the other guy says, man, don't you fear God? We talked about that last night. There's people that have no fear of God. He says, we're dying. And he called out to Jesus. Jesus, remember me. 
And Jesus looked at him and says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That quick, that fast. People say, I, I don't know if I believe in these deathbed confessions. I don't see how God, you know, if Jeffrey Dahmer asked Jesus his heart for you, how could he go to heaven? Because that's the way it works. Thank God you weren't involved in the decision process. <laughs> that day, this guy who had, was being killed for his misdeeds, in one brief moment, reached out to Jesus. Just like that, he forgave him. He didn't have to grovel. He didn't have to go through his list of transgressions. He didn't have to earn anything. He just had to reach out for help. I love the story of that woman that we talked about, caught in adultery. At no point does she ever say, I am sorry, please forgive me. She was just humiliated, and Jesus said, I forgive you. Wow. What compassion. This is what we celebrate when we take communion this morning. And if you're with us today and you're listening, and you've never taken the first step of faith to ask God into your life so you could experience forgiveness, so that you could also forgive others. I'm going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. If you'll pray this prayer and mean it from the bottom of your heart, you can start your path of walking in God's forgiveness and grace and mercy. Let's bow our heads and pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. Amen.